KFI AM640 Los Angeles, Orange County, and KOST HD2. It's 5 a.m. What did you miss? It's time for Wake Up Call with Jennifer Jones Lee. saying it's monday but you know what let's get our week started off right this is making me feel good john hey (laughs) hey this is wake up call on your monday morning uh it is april 12th oh it's my niece's birthday she turned 16 oh where has the time gone oh i can't believe it's the, the 12th of april uh this is KFIAM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I am Layla Muhammad in for Jennifer Jones Lee. She's back tomorrow. I texted with her yesterday. She's enjoying her family time. So good for Jennifer. Hey, I don't watch wrestling, but apparently this weekend was a big weekend for WWE. Uh, There were two stars who made headlining history. I have to shout them out. Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Okay, so I did not know about these women. Alex, do you watch wrestling? No, but I'm intrigued. This was huge. It was the first time that... uh, Two black women have faced each other in a WrestleMania title match, and Bianca Belair won, but it was a huge deal. It was the SmackDown Women's Championship title, so now I have to be invested in wrestling because it was just something about like hearing the story. I was so proud of them. So anyway, to all the wrestling fans, you already know all this, but I just learned. Okay, so here's what's ahead on the wake-up call. We have some serious and heavy news this morning, and then hopefully we'll get to some things that will make you smile a little bit later. But right now, a custody fight. We are learning more about what was happening in a family before three small children were found dead in Reseda. Their mother has been arrested. And Iran says a blackout at an underground nuclear facility was actually a sabotage attack, who the Iranian foreign ministry says is to blame. And Prince Harry is back across the pond. The Duke of Sussex returned to London ahead of his grandfather's funeral. At 505 Infrastructure Plan, President Biden is reportedly willing to negotiate to get bipartisan support on his $2 trillion infrastructure proposal. So coming up, we're talking with ABC's Karen Travers about what the support looks like so far. But let's start with some of the stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. The woman accused of killing her three kids in Reseda was in a custody dispute with the children's father. The father had once requested a mental health evaluation of the mother because of her erratic behavior. The father, who lives in Tulare County, told the Daily News he applied in March to take custody of the kids. The mother was supposed to surrender the kids yesterday. All three children, ages three years, two years, and six months, were found stabbed to death Saturday morning by their grandmother in an apartment. The mother was found that afternoon in the same area of Tulare County where the father lives. Steve Gregory, KFI News. The man charged in a mass fatal shooting in Orange is set to be arraigned today after several postponements. He has been in a hospital and unable to communicate. He got shot by police during the rampage at a business earlier a week and a half ago in which four people, including a nine-year-old boy, were killed. Twelve people have been arrested at a White Lives Matter rally in Huntington Beach. Police say counter-protesters turned up to yesterday's rally yelling Nazis go home. The cops say that caused some scuffles between the two groups. They say there was about uh, 500 people from both sides. The L.A. school district will reopen its doors at 61 elementary schools starting tomorrow. Students and staff will need to wear masks and practice social distancing. Desks will need to be six feet apart. The district has also doubled the custodial staff and upgraded its air filter system. Middle school and high schools will open their doors later this month. 
And health officials in some states say they are facing new challenges in the fight against COVID-19 with rising case numbers. In Michigan, the positivity rate is the highest it's been since April last year. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer says she has asked the Biden administration for more vaccines. When there is a surge, we think that it's important that we we go to we rush in to meet where that need is. Officials are anticipating an 85 percent drop in Johnson and Johnson's vaccine supply this week because of a mix up at its Baltimore plant. And researchers say the Pfizer vaccine might not be strong enough to beat the COVID-19 strain detected in South Africa. A new study in Israel has found people who had both doses were eight times as likely to catch the variant as unvaccinated people. But the researchers say their sample size was small, so they can't say for sure how much less effective the vaccine is. We say good morning to our friend Karen Travers. Good morning, Karen. Hey, good morning. So this was the talk over the weekend. I was watching the Sunday morning shows and seeing everybody mm-hmm. make their rounds from Pete Buttigieg to, uh, you know, uh, who else was on the shows? Uh, Granholm was on there talking as well. Yeah, Grant. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. let's start. First of all, what are the key points of the president's plan for infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, for the president, several of the key items are, of course, the investment in fixing roads and bridges and ports and airports. But there's also a significant investment in broadband infrastructure, uh, rebuilding, repairing lead pipes across the country. So Republicans say that these aren't what they call traditional infrastructure projects and that it's just too broad of a plan, meaning it's also too expensive of a plan, $2.3 trillion. There are signals that some Republicans could be on board with a smaller, slimmed down proposal uh, that would be about a trillion dollars. But the White House is very forcefully defending what the president put together. And, and, you know, this wasn't a surprise. It's what he campaigned on. So they uh, took everything he talked about as a candidate, put it together into a package to send to Congress, and it came out at $2.3 trillion. And they say that Infrastructure has to include things like broadband and electric vehicles. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm said yesterday that in 1990, nobody would have thought broadband was infrastructure because we didn't even really talk about broadband at that point. Now it's necessary. And so are electric vehicles. So, you know, I think as the Republican pushback is too expensive and it's too broad, but like shrink it down a little and we can get on board. The White House for now, while saying, yes, we want to compromise and we'd be willing to have these conversations, they're also saying everything we put in here is critical and urgent right now. So (laughs) paying very close attention to tea leaves to see after this first meeting today between the president and Republicans and Democratic lawmakers, you know, what might be some of the wiggle room? Maybe we'll get a sense today. But as the White House always likes to say, they're not going to negotiate this in public either. Yeah, but they are saying that the president knows that the plan mm-hmm. as the plan as is is not going to get passed. He knows yeah. that, so he's willing to compromise. You mentioned that he's meeting with a a group of lawmakers, a bipartisan group today. Do you know who's a part mm-hmm. of that group? Any idea who's part? Yeah, of Yeah, we got your senator, uh, Senator Padilla, will be there today. Uh, senator Roger Wicker, who was also on the Sunday talk shows over the weekend, and a couple of uh, House members who are involved in infrastructure through their committees. Interestingly, it was described to me as a group of moderates on transportation, not necessarily moderates uh, in all of the political issues. But when it comes to transportation, these are kind of the middle of the road folks who where if you're going to come up with a compromise, maybe it starts here because they have a better finger on the pulse of what their uh, specific caucuses will be looking at. But I think the point you brought up uh, of what Senator Secretary Granholm said is important. 
but the president knows his current plan is going to be changed, that that's the nature of compromise. That's how it works in Washington. You put a proposal down, you send it up to Congress. There's no way it stays exactly like that as it goes through the ringer up on Capitol Hill. So today kind of starts the process of sending it through the ringer now that lawmakers are back after their recess. And we're going to start seeing much more specifics from both sides, not maybe not the White House, but both sides in terms of what they would be willing to negotiate and compromise on. And any idea of the timeline in which the the president is hoping to have this passed? Yeah, so the timeline is that they would like to see progress by Memorial Day, major progress, the press secretary said. And what does that mean? Really, that means a bill on paper. Uh, They are scrambling on Capitol Hill to turn this into legislation, even as these negotiations continue. Get something down, knowing that you'll be tweaking it and things will come out and things will be added in. They'd like to see a bill passed by summer. That probably doesn't mean June, probably doesn't mean July. We could be looking at maybe post-recess, because remember, Congress heads out of town for most of August. So this could slip into September. But right now, this is the top priority for the president and the administration. And it's really an all-hands-on-deck effort. You said it's top priority for them. Congress just getting back this week. Will Mm -hmm. this be a priority for them? I mean, where does this fall on their their priority list? It it will be, at least for, uh, of course, for Democrats, and they control the House and Senate. They can't, you know, put anything up for any sort of vote just yet, but this is certainly the big thing that they're working on in committees. You know, what's interesting about this is that when you look at the COVID relief package, that moved through very quickly, and that was obviously an urgent emergency need. Uh, This is different. They're really starting from ground zero. They're starting from scratch on this, even though there were things the president proposed as a candidate. In terms of turning this into actual legislation, legislation. This is really starting from the beginning. So if they can get a bill done by Memorial Day, I think many people would be surprised. It's a really tight timeline. ABC's Karen Travers, we thank you for joining us this morning. So much information there. Thanks. Thank you. And here are some more stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. Police near Minneapolis have issued a curfew after the shooting death of a a black driver. Crowds gathered in the city of Brooklyn Center to uh, protest yesterday's killing. Minnesota Department of Public Safety Commissioner Joe Harrington says following the shooting, up to 200 people gathered outside the police headquarters and things got tense. We saw uh, rocks and other objects uh, thrown at the police department. There were reports of shots fired in the area of the police department. Harrington says the shooting happened during a traffic stop when the driver allegedly tried to run away. A U.S. Army officer is suing police in Virginia for the alleged use of excessive force. Second Lieutenant Karen Nazario has filed a lawsuit after two officers pulled guns and ordered him out of his car during a traffic stop last December. Back up, Daniel. I didn't do anything. Back up. Whoa, hold on. Daniel. What's going on? Hold on. Get out of the car. Newly released body cam video shows the Army medic in uniform being pepper sprayed and pushed to the ground at gunpoint. A police report says he was stopped for not displaying a license plate, although his SUV had a temporary paper dealer tag in the window. Uh, The police department has since released a statement saying uh, the officer seen in the video pepper spraying the Army officer has since been let go from the department. Iran says a reported blackout at its underground atomic facility was an act of nuclear terrorism and that Israel may be to blame. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in Israel and says the U.S. plans to move ahead with negotiations. Israel is a key strategic partner and friend, and so we won't, we won't lose focus on the threats that they face. Israel has not confirmed or denied responsibility for the attack. 
Well, a bar in Denver says no vaccination, no service. Bar Max announced the policy two weeks ago on social media before reopening for indoor dining last week. Before then, the cocktail bar spent most of the pandemic offering only a small to-go menu. The bar's manager says her employees are all vaccinated and are relieved by the decision, as well as many of their customers. But some people disagree, calling the owner's actions discriminatory. The bar's owner says people who are not vaccinated can still order food and cocktails. They just can't dine in. Danny Max, KFI News. The chairman of the Federal Reserve says the U.S. economy is headed for a long period of strong growth. Jerome Powell has told 60 Minutes there will also be more jobs, even though COVID-19 is still creating some risks. Well, Prince Harry will be one of only 30 people who can attend the funeral for Prince Philip. ABC's Victoria Murphy says Harry will be there without his wife, Meghan Markle. It's been confirmed that Harry will be attending the funeral. Um, However, uh, his officials are not commenting on his exact movements, but it has been said this morning that he was seen arriving into the UK. The funeral service for the prince, Prince Philip, is set to be held this Saturday. And we will have much more on the plans coming up at 5.52 with Tom Rivers reporting from London. Now, when we come back, Corbin Carson continues his Catalina Island COVID-19 comeback series. You won't want to miss the latest. So I, I've never heard this. So John, you said this is Rusted Roots. Yeah, Rusted Root. You never heard of Simeon No, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't oh, judge. Okay. It's five twenty-two in the morning. We don't judge. Okay. This sorry. is judge-free. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Y'all, some judgy folks on on the morning crew. <laughs> no, what? So this is a it's a good song. Yes. Yes, it's it's. Yeah, it's been in tons of movies. It's, oh, uh, has it really? Yeah. Can you name a movie that perhaps I should know that this song is in? I don't know the song. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think it's one of the fa- – honestly, it's one of Adam Sandler's movies. Oh, um, I love Adam Sandler. Okay, I probably heard it then. This makes me want to get in the car and go on a drive. Yeah, it's also uh, <laughs> it's also a song on uh, – I think it's pretty viral on TikTok as well. Not oh, you know why I don't know it? Because I'm not on the TikTok. <laughs> I'm of a certain age, not judging folks who are over a certain age or on TikTok. I'm not on there. My sister is, but um, okay, I'll, I'll go ask her to show me on TikTok. People who are listening are like, girl, we do not care. Uh, hey, you're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm not Jennifer. She's off. She's back tomorrow. She's back tomorrow. But here are some of the stories we're following uh, in the KFI newsroom. A house explosion, one person injured in Valley Glen. What caused that explosion? And ingenuity delayed. Again, the setback that has held up the first flight of the Ingenuity Mars helicopter. At 535, a speech by former President Trump over the weekend. It was all the talk on the Sunday morning shows yesterday. It took aim at some prominent leaders of his own party. So coming up, ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts is weighing in. But right now on Wake Up Call. An empty museum in part six of the Catalina Island COVID-19 comeback series. KFI's Corbin Carson looks at the history of the island, which has been inhabited for thousands of years. I now know what it's like to be marooned on an island. Catalina Island Museum Executive Director Julie Perlin Lee says life was uncertain. It was real touch and go there. Most of our community had lost their jobs because we are tourist-based industry. We had all our eggs in one basket. She says the museum had invested in exhibits no one could see. We had no admission through the door, canceled all of our events. No one was able to rent the facility. 
and unfortunately we did have to let most of our staff go, um, but we were able to put a lot of content online, virtual programming like a lot of other museums have done. We creatively got through that by taking all the exhibition images and projecting them uh, downtown. She says a couple thousand cooped up islanders were at least able to enjoy that while exhibits including artifacts, images, and personal belongings from the Titanic were posted online. In the early hours of April 15, 1912, the Titanic disappeared beneath the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Approximately 2,224 passengers and crew had boarded the Titanic for her maiden voyage. 706 individuals survived. We are here to share a few of their stories. Perlin Lee says the museum also breaks down the island's history, starting with its discovery about 8,000 years ago. The Tongva people who lived here for thousands of years and far, far before we, you know, the Spanish arrived and the Mexicans arrived. The island was a stop off for smugglers, gold diggers, pirates, and the Union Army before tourism kicked off about 125 years ago. Really, it was in the 1880s and 90s where the island started to be looked at as a potential tourist destination. And a fellow named George Chateau started uh, developing the coastline with tents for people to come and visit and stay in. He was not able to continue his venture here, though, and the Banning family, who was developing much of the California coast, was able to purchase the island. And they did a lot of the construction of the island, the development of the coastline, the roads. Then a fire in 1915 burned down half of Avalon and the Banning brothers sold the island for about $2 million. William Wrigley Jr. purchased the island in 1919. He was an advertiser. He was um, the fellow behind Wrigley's chewing gum. One of my favorite things in the museum is this huge check for $25,000 and that was awarded to a man named George Young who swam across the ocean, so from Catalina to the mainland. And that um, was about $350,000 in today's money. Wrigley invested millions in an attempt to create a playground for all, building Hotel Atwater, the Catalina Casino, and bringing over his team, the Chicago Cubs, for spring training until 1951. One of the things Wrigley did was built the world's largest aviary here on the island at the time. The bird songs that you hear there were recorded and used in the movie The Wizard of Oz. Other exhibits in the museum include a large metal maze sculpture by Elizabeth Turk. She was really interested in talking about birds and in particular bird extinction and she was able to use a gallery at Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa to bring an idea to life which is this larger question are we at a tipping point between animals extinction and humans we finished this project in early March, right before the pandemic. So are we at a tipping point really became a yeah, deep question for us all to ponder at that time. But we're looking at three concentric rings of steel cut in shapes of targets and birds that have been extinct. So it's a moving interactive sculpture that you can walk through. So all of these move and then as they move, the shadows move and the light moves. The shadow of the target panels and sometimes you become the target. Once this one's closed and this one's closed, it's almost impossible for anybody outside to see us. So we've disappeared. We've kind of gone extinct in our own birdcage. And finally, special exhibition I really, truly love, Gail Garner-Roski, Journey to the Titanic. Gail is an incredible watercolorist. She just had a book published about her work called A Gift to Los Angeles. 
She um, sadly passed away just a couple months before we opened this exhibition. Gail was the first artist to paint the Titanic from the seafloor from a submersible. And these watercolors, some of them which were painted in the submersible, document her entire trip. Berlin Lee says to save money, the exhibitions no one saw will stay on for another year. Would you like to see our gift shop? <laughs> From Catalina Island, Corbin Carson, KFI News. And to hear more of Corbin's series, go to KFIAM640.com, keyword Catalina. John, I'm putting you on the spot. I hear you're headed there. With, yes. with the wife? So fill me in. What's going on this weekend? It's our anniversary weekend. Oh Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Can you play Tony, Tony, Tony? Tony, uh, Tony, Tone's anniversary while you tell me the story. Um, um, you not Do not tell me you do not know that song. No, I don't know that oh, song. Oh, it's the only anniversary song in the world. I can quietly sing love and marriage. <laughs> no, no, no. Those, like, oh, words, yeah, I though. forgot, you guys. Oh, bless your bless your young hearts. I you guys are reminding me that I'm old. It's a beautiful song about an anniversary, that's all. But never mind. Uh, let's get back to the anniversary trip. So what are you looking forward to and what have you uh, heard from Corbin's series that you're hoping to do or see? Because there have been some stories and I'm like, ooh, my mouth is watering. I want to get some good food. So what are you looking forward to? Well, I mean, there's always the food. I mean, I've I've been to Catalina a couple times, just like day trips. And that's really like all I've kind of done. The wife has never gone. And we wanted to stay, you know, kind of, you know, just stay in California type of, type of trip. So, uh, the last trip we went to before pandemic hit and all that stuff, we went to Denver and we wanted to see Buffalo and Bison. And I know there's uh, Corbin mentioned that there's Bison that are left on Catalina from you know one of the film uh -huh. shoots that were there. So we're looking forward to that because we're, we're we we like you know nature. We we're gonna go parasailing and all that. Um, so it's gonna be fun. It, it's we're looking forward to that. The food and all that's a guarantee. You know, like hanging out, having food. You know. Um, but it's mainly being, being able to explore, probably going to rent a golf cart, going to explore Aww. the island. So stuff like that. Yeah, You're so romantic. That's so sweet. Oh, thank you, Layla. I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> I, I love love. And I, and I love that you're excited about your anniversary. You're not like, oh, Lord, I got an anniversary with this woman. No, I, I, I enjoy hanging out with my wife. I, I do. Y'all have children yet? No. Oh, no. that's why. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you, you after the kids. Not that I'm an expert because I don't have small children or a husband. Or a coffee date, for that matter. But I've heard sometimes the children will stress you out. I'm not trying to discourage you. Well, thank you, Layla. This you've is taking really, a bad turn. Yeah, you've really gotten me even more excited. <laughs> no, I'm just taking a fun turn. What are you talking about? I have an idea for a segment. We should find you a date. Oh, please don't. Because here's the issue. This this is the issue. Bless your heart, Alex. The, the issue is um, it's always the random, weirdest, most bizarre people who get in the DM. Like people who I'm like, oh my God, should I be afraid? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I can't. I can't even imagine what it would be like for you being a public figure. What you get? I, I've gotten some weird ones, and I'm nobody. Girl, I'm nobody too. But let me tell you, <laughs> not only the creepy, but also like, like the you're looking at the person, you're saying, what does that say about me? Oh, uh, preaching to the choir, John. Yeah. Ignore this. You're happily married. This is this is speaking okay. to we'll our just, single we'll, souls. You know what? We'll just Sometimes have this in the background. You know. Oh yeah. That's the song. I love it, but weird to play it right now. It's a beautiful song. Lamenting. So you you listen to it, and if you like it, play it for your wife. I think she'd love it. It's just a really sweet song from, from like the 90s or whatever. Anyway, what I'm saying, Alex, is, oh, we have to break shortly, but what I'm saying is it makes you sometimes look at yourself and say, what does this person reaching out say about me? What about me says you have a chance? Or some people just are very confident, and I need that confidence. They shoot their shot. 
And then you go home and you cry because you're like, this is a reflection of me. <laughs> At least that's how I feel. I wanted to talk about LeVar Burton. We'll do this coming up. Did you hear about this whole push to get him to host Jeopardy? We've got to talk about that. I love it. And uh, we'll talk about who the next Jeopardy villain host will be. KFI AM 640. An iHeart radio station. 24 hour news. More stimulating talk. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah. I get my weed from California. That's that. I took my chick up to the north. Yeah. I get my light right from the source. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I see you. Oh, this sounds like a good song. Who's this? This is Justin Bieber. Oh, it is Bieber. Yeah. I do like the Bieber. And I'm also a T-Swift fan. Have y'all, did y'all know that about me? No, but I'm into it. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for her craft and uh, just how great of a writer she is. I just have a lot of respect for her. I think she's awesome. I am kind of cool, you know. Only on Tuesdays, uh, but today's Monday. So here are some of the stories we're following in the KFI newsroom. Lawmakers getting back to business after their Easter recess. They're supposed to start negotiations with the White House on uh, the president's $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Plus, we are staying on top of that really, really heartbreaking story out of Reseda, that custody battle. The woman accused of killing her three children in Reseda. Uh, police say she had been fighting with the children's father for custody. At 5.50, the royal family mourns the death of Prince Philip. We're going to be checking in with ABC's Tom Rivers in London about how Britain will pay tribute to Prince Philip. News brought to you by American Vision Windows. Right now, let's say good morning to ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts. Hi, Steve. It's been a while. Yeah, good morning. Nice to talk to you. Good morning. Always good talking with you. So the president uh, was attending a private event over the weekend at his Mar-a-Lago Resort, a Republican donor event. Uh, so what happens in there is usually supposed to stay pretty private, correct? Yes, uh, private and unified. Normally, this is all about let's do what's best for the Republican Party. Let's figure out how we can unify. Let's beat those Democrats, right? And right. that was not what Trump did at all. What Trump did was settle old scores. This is a man, the world revolves around him, not around the Republican Party, not around the next election. It revolves around him and the last election. So all he did was vent grievances, of, of which we know to be 100 percent untrue, the election was fair. It was not stolen from him. Um, uh, Mike Pence did not uh, defy the Constitution. He fulfilled the Constitution by counting the votes fairly on January 6th. But Trump cannot get past his grievances. And um, look, there is still a hardcore base of the party that would stand up and applaud all of those um, uh, tropes from Donald Trump. But smart money in the party, uh, thinking about the next election and thinking about the future, not the past, uh, sees Trump as a very divisive figure uh, who, frankly, just, uh, I think, in many ways is diminished as a national figure and not as a as his appeal to the core base. The support is still there. But you look at national figures, his popularity is only 40 percent. Um, it does not take a political genius to figure out that if you rally around a leader who is at 40 percent popularity, you're not going to win a lot of elections. Before we dig into uh, his his hold on the party, let's let's touch on what he said at this event. So he took mm -hmm. aim mm -hmm. at uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, called him a loser, oh, a stone cold right. loser. And uh, also by former Vice President Pence. <laughs> well, this is, as I say, this is all about him, him. And it's also he attacked the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Why? Because Kemp um, refused to bend to Trump's pressures 
uh, on the election. The, Georgia recounted their votes three times. And it wasn't just a Republican governor, Kemp. It was a Republican secretary of state, a Republican lieutenant governor, all of whom came to the same conclusion three different times that the election was fair and Joe Biden had won. And Trump refused to accept those results, attacked Governor Kemp because Kemp would not bend to Trump's pressures. This is what I'm saying. He um, uh, everything he said, uh, not just the negatives, but the positives, the people he chose to praise at his uh, event over the weekend were all people who were kissing the Trump's ring, like Governor DeSantis of Florida, who are pledging loyalty to Trump. That's all he cares about. Are you for or against me? And the future of the Republican Party is very much a secondary calculation to him. You know, I found it interesting. So this this fundraising event, this one was the only part of the the retreat that was held at Mar-a-Lago. And so um, at one point, wasn't it the... President, the president's folks saying, you know, we want to sort of distance ourselves from the party in terms of fundraising. So how does this sort of align with that? If, if he wanted to be separate in terms of his um, his image, his name, his likeness, all fundraising for his own political action committee. Well, that's, that, that, that's a very that's a very good point, because, um, you know, Trump, uh, among the many falsehoods he told after the election, was that all the money he was raising was was aimed at uh, pursuing uh, victory and, and, and carrying court cases forward. But that wasn't true at all. Uh, most of the money he raised from loyal followers, and he raised a great deal of money. He's got about $85 million in the bank. Most of that money was raised under false pretenses, and it was actually funneled into his own political action committees and for future use both to finance his own political campaigns, but also, um, and this is very common in politics, he can give that money to other people as a way of making friends and solidifying alliances. So um, uh, this is part of what has got a lot of Republican donors, big donors, upset, because um, what they care about is the future of the Republican Party. What they care about is reclaiming the Congress in the next election and the White House in, in, in 2024. Uh, not about uh, feathering Donald Trump's nest. And uh, so you're right in pointing out that there's a real uh, split there uh, among the, the big donors in the Republican Party. So my last question for you is how long do you think that uh, Trump can hold on to the GOP? Gee, that's such a good question. And I I, I don't have a strong answer. I think that it, it, there are two answers. One is that I, I don't see the, the hardcore base um, dwindling anytime soon. Uh, but I do think beyond that, beyond the hardcore Trumpians, there's a growing disillusionment with Trump, a growing understanding that um, he doesn't have their best interests at heart, a growing understanding that in many ways, the single biggest reason Joe Biden won was because people hated Donald Trump so much. Let's be honest. A lot of Democratic voters did not go to the polls thinking Joe Biden was the greatest possible president. They went to the polls and were driven the energy, the passion on the Democratic side, I think, was the single biggest uh, driving passion was just hatred of Trump. And so Republicans look at that and say, you know, this is not the future we want. So it's a story. It's, it's two different stories. The base is still loyal, but the, the larger national strategists are increasingly moving past Trump to look for a different future. ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts, great talking with you this morning. Anytime. Bye-bye. Take care. 
It's time for Biz Bites. Bites of business. Biz Bites. On Wake Up Call with Phil and host name here. Facebook has announced it is converting part of its Menlo Park headquarters into a vaccination site to help speed up the vaccination drive in the U.S. The company is teaming up with the Ravenswood Family Health Center for the vaccination site. It's also working with state health officials and local nonprofits to support mobile vaccination clinics in four of the state's hardest hit regions. Two South Korean companies that are major makers of lithium batteries used for electric vehicles have reached a deal on an intellectual property dispute. The companies agreed to drop litigation in the U.S. and South Korea and not pursue further lawsuits for a decade. SK Innovation will also pay LG Energy Solution $1.8 billion in cash and royalties. SK is building a $2.6 billion factory near Commerce, Georgia, to make electric vehicle batteries. It is expected to eventually create at least 2,600 full-time jobs for the plant and produce lithium ion on batteries for Ford and Volkswagen. President Biden has declared the settlement a victory for American workers and the American auto industry. The deal came before the Biden administration's deadline to reverse a U.S. International Trade Commission decision unless the battery makers reached a settlement. Microsoft is reportedly in advanced talks to buy an artificial intelligence and speech technology company for about $16 billion. An agreement could be announced as soon as today. Burlington, Massachusetts-based Nuance Communications makes software for sectors ranging from healthcare to the automotive industries. Its voice recognition technology helps start Apple's assistant Siri. Microsoft acquired LinkedIn in 2016 for $26.2 billion. Apple has agreed to testify before the Senate on competition issues related to mobile app stores. Lawmakers previously criticized the company for refusing to appear. App makers have long complained that mandatory revenue sharing payments and strict inclusion rules set by Apple's App Store for iPhones and iPads, along with Google's Play Store for Android devices, amount to anti-competitive behavior. Google has already agreed to testify at the hearing April 21st, which is being held by part of the Senate Judiciary Committee. MasterCard has created a calculator that measures consumers' carbon footprints based on what they buy. The credit card company says the goal is to help customers to understand how much their spending habits are contributing to carbon emissions and global warming. The tool will be available on the MasterCard website and app starting today. It focuses on specific spending categories like food and beverage or apparel, but doesn't track individual transactions. Dick Sporting Goods has debuted its first concept store where customers can shop and play sports and other activities. It's called Dick's House of Sport. It opened in Victor, New York, and is equipped with an outdoor turf field and running track, a rock climbing wall, batting cages, and golf hitting bays with simulators. It also has a health and wellness section focused on recovery and well-being and a service area for breaking in equipment. Dix is already planning to open its second house of sport this year in Knoxville, Tennessee. The company has plans to open and redesign 45 other locations dedicated to soccer, golf, and warehouse sales later this month. The efforts will create 260 full-time, part-time, and temporary job openings within communities nationwide. And those are your biz bites on this Monday morning. Well, CNN anchor Anderson Cooper will be the next guest host on Jeopardy. He will take over next Monday from NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who is currently hosting the show. Actress Maya Bialik will lead the show from the end of May. And by the way, there's this change.org petition happening. Right now, it has over 227,000 signatures. The goal is 300,000. They want to get LeVar Burton as the new host of Jeopardy. Now, Burton is on board with this. He has said he thinks his whole career is an advertisement for being the host of Jeopardy. He says he's not going to lie. I feel like I've been preparing my whole life to occupy the Jeopardy host podium when Alex retires. And, uh, you know, we know Trebek died in November uh, from pancreatic cancer at the age of 80. 
he was the perfect host for the show. So who else could fill those shoes so seamlessly but LeVar Burton, who hosted 21 seasons of Reading Rainbow, okay? He was in Star Trek The Next Generation. He was took the role of Kunta Kinte in, in the series Roots. LeVar, he shaped minds for generations. He's a friend of trivia-loving nerds. I'm on board. So anyway, that's happening at change.org. Make LeVar Burton the next host of Jeopardy. I don't know if it will happen, but I, seriously, when I heard that, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, who else? You agree, Alex? Oh, a thousand percent. Like, you named it. Like, you, first of all, we should be his PR person. I should. But I should. A hundred percent, because it's <laughs> such big shoes to fill. Like, who yeah. could do it? He could do it. He can. All right. So they're almost at their goal. Anyway, I don't know what they reached the goal. What will happen? I don't know. But the point is, there's a lot of support. And, uh. Oh, you know, Alex gave us that warm, fuzzy feeling, and he was just so friendly and smart and everything and, and gracious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we'll see what happens next. All right, when we come back, ABC's Tom Rivers has an update on the funeral plans for Prince Philip, the arrival of Prince Harry from the U.S. We're diving into all of that. This Monday morning, I'm Layla Muhammad in for Jennifer Jones Lee, who is back tomorrow. Welcome back, Jen, from your vacation. Uh, here are some of the stories we're covering in the KFI newsroom. House explosion. One person injured in Valley Glen. We'll tell you what caused that explosion. And ingenuity delayed. Again, the setback that has held up the first flight of the Ingenuity Mars helicopter. Congratulations to Japanese golfer Hideki Matsuyami the first player from his country to win the U.S. Masters. At 5.56, we say good morning to ABC's Tom Rivers in London. Tom. Good morning, Lena. Oh, it's been a while. How are you? Well, kind of watching the Royals coming and, and coming back into the country. Guess who? Yeah, Prince, Prince Harry. Harry. Yeah, tell Hello. us about that. That just happened, what, well, uh, the- yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. So in theory, we don't know where he's staying, but in theory, he should be quarantining for a minimum of five days, okay? And if, uh, if in fact, that is the case uh, and he gets a, a negative result, yes, he'll be there on Saturday. A lot of speculation in the tabloids that he and William will be following Phillip's coffin into St. George's Chapel. So that's, that's one thing we'll be looking at. Um, and over the weekend, we had a number of uh, Phillip's children talking about uh, the legacy of Philip. Andrew saying, you know, there's a, a huge void, obviously, in the life of, of the Queen and uh, and others, too. And uh, with a poignant, if you will, statement, really, she said, look, you know, he was always there to support her, but also to give her some very critical advice. So it wasn't a one-way street. It was like you know, he'd mix it up a little bit and say, you know, maybe you want to try a different, a different approach to something. So, yes, uh, you know, everybody is... Getting, every, getting more details every day as we head towards Saturday to see exactly what's going to be shaking out. But it looks like 30 people, that's it, because of COVID restrictions, 30 people are going to be in the chapel, and that's it. It'll be a quote-unquote television event. Yeah, and, and the 31 include Meghan Markle, who's a, you know p- pregnant and back home here in California with baby Archie. Um, let's talk about the, the royal family attending church yesterday. That was you know sort of their first, I guess, public you know, movement since the Prince Philip died on Friday. 
Yeah, they, they all went to the, the Royal Chapel of All Saints on the grounds of Windsor Castle. It's very small. Little chapel, and uh, it's a person we haven't seen for quite a long time. We saw Prince Andrew uh, come out, and uh, maybe that's the last we'll hear of him. Uh, this certainly this side of the funeral, uh, but he's been you know under under wraps basically with uh, the ongoing story of a Jeffrey Epstein. Um, but other than that, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of praises in the country for Philip, the various things he'd done for a long, long period of time. And again, yes, it's going to be something that's going to have a lot of viewers on Saturday, as really the country says goodbye to uh, the longest-serving British consort in history. Yeah, and I know the the palace is telling folks, hey, just make sure you stay home. It, we still have a pandemic going on. Don't converge on Windsor Castle. Have people still been stopping by to lay flowers and pay their respects? Yeah, they have, but again, it, it's not the huge numbers we've seen for other kinds of royal events, either at Windsor or the palace. So they measure maybe one to 200, something of that nature. And you're right. Uh, a lot of them just putting uh, florals, uh, bouquets, et cetera, against the gates at, at Buckingham Palace and also out at, the, uh, at Windsor as, as well. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a downplayed, if you will, event. But, you know, these are the times we live in. The pandemic is still here, although the numbers are going in the right direction here in the U.K. Uh, hospitalizations and deaths are, are really, really going down after this three-month lockdown but uh, you know you got to you got to be on top of this thing because you know it can rear its ugly head and race race back. A lot of us don't know a lot about Prince Philip. At least I didn't know until the Crown. Until I binge watch all four seasons, I learned all about the royal family, which I think the casting was spot on. Uh, and in my mind, I like to believe everything that I watch was real. How has that show? What what have the conversations been over over across the pond about how that show has sort of uh, let people into the world of the royals? Well, I guess, you know, when you, when you live here and you live here long enough, you kind of know a lot of that stuff already. Um, but you're absolutely right. Very, very humble beginnings um, as the royal family in Greece was kind of ushered out uh, of that country in a coup. And uh, really, he was, he was viewed by many in the British hierarchy here as, as you know, kind of a, uh, a foreigner and a penniless one at that. Um, and he really caught his stride after going to private school in, in Scotland uh, when he joined the Royal Navy. And, of course, uh, World War II, he, he made his mark. And he would have been, I think, very, very happy to have stayed and made a career in the Navy. But, of course, you know, he got, he got married to the woman that who one day, and it happened quicker than they thought, become the monarch. And uh, his whole life changed on a dime. At that point, he just has, you know, had to take a back seat. Uh, he was still he was still wore the trousers, as they say, uh, behind closed doors in the family. But uh, presentation wise in public, no, he had to uh, take the back seat to the queen. Well, Tom, I'll be tuned in on uh, this weekend on Saturday. And Good. so I'm sure we'll talk to you again before then. All righty. All right, Tom Rivers in London this morning. Thank you. This is KFI and KOSTHD2 Los Angeles. We lead local from the KFI 24-hour newsroom. I'm Layla Muhammad. This has been your wake-up call.